Well, if you would, this morning, I would like you to take your Bibles and turn to a place we haven't been for a while, and that is 1 Peter chapter 2. And we're going to look this morning at 1 Peter chapter 2 and verses 18 through the very first phrase of chapter 21. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18 through the very first phrase of verse 21. But before we get into that, there are a number of things I would like to say this morning and share with you. The first thing I'd like to say is don't forget about the important commissioning service that we have tonight for the Morse family. Uh, this is our opportunity as a church to send out one of our own families with our blessing and a commitment to pray for them and to care for them. And uh, this is meant to be a wonderful time, not only for Gabe and Ellen and their children, but also for us as a church. This is our time with them. So encourage you to be a part of that tonight. And then I just want to say a number of thank yous uh, for the time that I was away. Uh, first of all, thank you to uh, Pastor Ron and Pastor Chad. Didn't they do a great job? They really did, and we are so blessed and so fortunate to have those two guys, and boy, they just took right over and handled everything very well. I heard only good reports, and so a big public thank you to them, and then thank you to all of you. Um, as many of you know, my surgery went very well. It's a long recuperation process, but couldn't have gone a whole lot better, and I'm, I'm just so grateful for that, and thank you for all the cards that were sent. I mean, there was a point where I was just overwhelmed. We were just getting so many cards. It was a blessing. I mean, you guys just went way above and beyond, and I am so thankful. And there were many other acts of kindness for which I am so grateful to you and so thankful. You could not have been more supportive and more encouraging, and I really really appreciate that. I don't think there are words adequate enough to tell you how grateful I am. And I just have a request for you, and that is that you would continue to be patient and kind with me. Um, I still am not going to be able to use my right arm at all for about the next four to five weeks, and I am not ambidextrous. I, 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 <laughs> I'm terrible with my left hand, so everything I do is taking me at least two to three times longer to do, but sometimes it's humorous and God is teaching me great patience uh, through the, the process, so I would encourage you to, uh, uh, if you would, just be patient with me during this time. And don't worry, I am going to wear a coat and tie again, so... <laughs> Don't want you to worry about that. Once my arm heals, I'll be back wearing a coat and tie. I'm not wearing one because I can't get it on. It's just I've only got one wing, and I need all the, I need all the mobility and range that I can get. So you don't have to offer me your clip-on ties. <laughs> you don't have to offer to help me with my jacket because that's not even the point. My wife, my wife does a great job of helping me to get dressed every day, so it's just that with only one arm and the off arm at that, I just need all the range and motion that I can. So again, thank you so much, and enough about me. 
I want to get into the Word of God this morning, and it has been a while. So I think it was the, well, we had local evangelism month in there, of course, but it was, I think, the third Sunday in September was the last time I was actually in 1 Peter chapter 2. But this is what Peter writes. Not an easy passage. I come back to what is a difficult passage to obey. It just is. Peter says, Servants, be subject to your masters, to your employers, with all respect. Not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if, when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called. Well, our first point this morning is slaves in the Roman Empire. Our witness to a watching world beyond the walls of the church is critically important to God. The whole thrust of this message is this, how you act each and every day outside the walls of this church is critically important to God. This is a consistent theme in 1 Peter chapter 2. If we go back to verse 9, Peter says, but you, yes, you, Christian, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Verses 12 and 13, or excuse me, verse 12, a verse that we use for local evangelism month. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Oh, when they speak against you as evildoers, that they may see, that they may see your good deeds and glorify God. Verses 13 through 15, this is where we were the last time I preached out of this book. Another hard passage to obey, that we are to obey the government according to Scripture. We are to obey the government even when the government is doing things that we know are wrong. The people of Peter's letter were living under an evil Roman emperor who was far worse than anything any of us could imagine. And this is what he says to them, be subject. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. And we are going to see the very same thing in this passage this morning. Folks, we can potentially adorn the gospel every day by our behavior 
to a watching world. Everything you do every day can potentially adorn or detract from the gospel message. By our behavior, we testify that we are the children of God, that we are different. And as I said, this is not easy. But when you are treated unjustly, when you are treated unfairly, how you react is a critical part of your testimony for Christ. When you are treated unjustly and unfairly, when someone has clearly wronged you, how you react is a powerful, powerful part of your testimony. Similar to what we saw in the previous, previous passage, the context of this passage is a challenge for every Christian in every generation. How could Peter ask them to submit to that government? How could he do that? But if they were asked to submit to the government, how much more should we do so? These people, most of whom, these to whom Peter is writing, are slaves in the Roman, the ancient Roman slave system. That's who he's writing to. Due to the rapid advancement of the gospel in Rome, many slaves in the Roman Empire came to Christ. They were gloriously saved. In almost every commentary I read, they said that most of the early Christians in Rome were slaves. So I want you to know that. They didn't just have a tough boss. They were slaves, owned by slave owners. And Peter writes this to them. There is no way you can grasp the power of this passage without having some understanding of this Roman slave system. So I'm going to share two fairly long quotes with you from John MacArthur. Bear with me for just a few minutes because I want you to understand to whom he is writing. First quote, the workforce in the Roman world consisted of slaves and the way they were treated was wide-ranging. Some masters loved their slaves as trusted members of the household and treated them like family, but many did not because there were scant protections and virtually no rights for slaves who were considered property rather than persons. Slaves owned little or nothing and had no legal recourse to which they could appeal when mistreated. Second quote, undoubtedly many recipients of this epistle endured painful and unjust beatings as slaves. Their masters might have deprived them of food, forced them to work unreasonably long hours, or punished them unfairly in a variety of ways. Unlike modern-day employees in Western industrialized country, those slaves had no one to turn to for redress of grievances, no union representatives, no government boards or ombudsmen to settle disputes, and no way to file civil lawsuits. It is so important for all of us this morning to keep in mind to whom he is writing. Number one, these are people, as I have shared with you throughout this series, 
who are enduring intense persecution, which Peter calls the fiery trials of persecution. Second, many of them were slaves in the Roman slave system. And that brings us to our second point this morning, suffering for doing what is right. Suffering for doing what is right. Suffering in the Christian life can come upon us in different forms. I want to share with you three different types of suffering that even Christians are called to endure. First, sometimes we suffer for no apparent reason. Sometimes we suffer under the mysterious will of God. And I'm not sure there could be a better example of this than what something that happened this week that gained national headlines. There was a young pastor's wife in Indianapolis. She and her husband were church planters in Indianapolis. And on Tuesday morning, a man broke into their home and shot her in the head and killed her. She was 12 weeks pregnant. Her toddler was asleep in another room. Her husband had gone to the gym to work out. Some of you know this already, but many of you may not. There is a very strong connection with this incident to our former senior pastor, John Blodgett. Some of you may remember that Pastor Blodgett was, was with us on May 17th of, of this year. He spoke here. And you may remember when Pastor Blodgett was here, he had been the senior pastor of the First Baptist Church of Elkhart, Indiana for over 20 years. And then John began to suffer a series of mini strokes and had to go into semi-retirement earlier than he had anticipated. He is still on staff there today at First Baptist Church of Elkhart, but he is no longer the senior pastor. His long time, I mean 15 plus years, his long time assistant, Phil Byers, became the new senior pastor about a year and a half ago or so. Because remember when they were telling me about it. Amanda Blackburn, the young woman who was murdered, is Phil's daughter. It's his daughter. And so I wrote to John this week because I know that the Byers family has to be going through a terrible time. And I said, John, I just want you to know that we're praying for you because I'm sure John is going to be one of the lead people who helps them through this terrible situation. And he wrote back and said, yes, it is a horrific situation for our church. Amanda grew up there. Amanda grew up in that church. And he said, but already God is helping us to see some good coming out of this. Why does God allow a 28-year-old young woman, 12 weeks pregnant, with a little toddler who has given her life to serve the Lord, why does he allow her to be murdered? And the answer is, I don't know. Sometimes we suffer for no apparent reason. 
except to say we live in a sinful world, we live in a fallen world. There may have been Christians who died, who were murdered in Paris in that horrific attack that took place on Friday. I don't know. There are a lot of things I don't understand, and sometimes Christians get caught in these things, and they suffer for no apparent reason. There is a second reason we suffer. We suffer because of our own sin sometimes. Sometimes we make bad choices. Sometimes we do foolish things. Sometimes we hurt the very people that we love. And we suffer the consequences of our own choices. But there is a third reason that we suffer. Sometimes we suffer unjustly and unfairly at the hands of people in this world. They treat us wrongly. They deal with us in unjust and unfair ways. And that is what Peter is talking about. He is talking about this third kind of suffering. We do what is right. We play by the rules. And we still suffer. We work hard. And we get passed over because of office politics. The cheater gets promoted and we get demoted. Our boss is a mean-spirited jerk who has it in for us. It happens. It happens. And that's the kind of suffering in this passage that Peter is talking about. And he says, servants are to be subject to their masters even when their masters are unjust. Again, verse 18. Servants, employees, be subject Be subject to your masters, to your employers with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Be subject to your masters with all respect. The word respect here means without bitterness or negativity, but with an attitude of gracious honor. Be subject to your employers, to your managers, to your supervisors with all respect. But here's the hard part. Not only to the good and gentle, but also, but also to the unjust. The word unjust there is an interesting one. It is from that word that we get our English word scoliosis or curvature of the spine. It means people who are crooked people who are unfair, people who knowingly treat you wrong, and yet we are to be subject to them with all respect. Paul tells us basically the same thing in Ephesians chapter 6. In Ephesians 6, 5, that great verse says, Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. We are to serve our supervisors, our managers, our CEOs. We are to serve them as if we were serving Christ himself. I want you to let verse 18 sink deeply into your souls this morning. It is truly counterculture. 
It is truly counterculture. When people see you treating your supervisor, manager, whomever it may be, with all respect, even when they are unjust, people wonder what is so different about you. That's the point, folks. Why are you so different? Why don't you become angry? Why don't you become bitter? Why don't you gossip behind their back? Why is it that you are different? For you see, suffering for doing what is right demonstrates to the world what the grace of God is all about. In verses 19 and 20 it says, For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But, but if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. And we are reminded our trust is not in a person or in our circumstances. Our trust is in our sovereign God who rules over all things. Notice twice he uses the phrase, a gracious thing. First part of verse 19, for this is a gracious thing. Last part of verse 20, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Some translations have this is the grace of God. You see, when we are threatened and refuse to compromise our faith, this is the grace of God. It is God's unmerited goodness and mercy. And we know that he is always with us always ruling over our lives and will treat us with his grace no matter what happens to us. When we suffer for what we believe and do not complain, this is the grace of God. When we are passed over and refuse to get bitter, this is the grace of God. When we endure harsh treatment and we still praise the Lord, this is the grace of God. When we are falsely accused and do not retaliate, this is the grace of God. When we are ripped off and can still smile, this is the supernatural grace of God. When we lose the game, but not our temper, this is the grace of God. When we face countless trials, but still count it all joy, this is the grace of God. When we love the Lord right through our tears, this is the grace of God. I was telling... Lori and Emily just on Saturday. I don't know what it's going to be like at the First Baptist Church of Elkhart this morning or at the church plant where that couple was at this morning. But I do know there will be a lot of tears. A lot of tears. And when we can love the Lord right in the midst 
of the storm right in the midst of our tears. This is the grace of God. I want you to notice the little phrase, mindful of God, in verse 19. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, when mindful of God, some translations have when conscious of God's presence, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. Because you are mindful of God, you are able to endure sorrows while suffering unjustly. That little phrase, mindful of God, is the key to the whole passage. We endure unjust suffering for one reason and one reason only, because we are conscious of God. We believe that his mercy is with us every minute of every day, no matter what they do to us, no matter what we go through. If I am mindful of God, if I am conscious of God in my life every day, then I can say I am where I am right now by God's appointment. It may not be easy, I may not like it, but I am where I am by God's appointment. If I am mindful of God, conscious of him, if I can know that if God wanted me somewhere else, I'd be somewhere else. If I am mindful of God, when God wants me somewhere else, I can trust that I'll be somewhere else. If I am mindful of God, I can know this, that God is good, that God is good and it must be for my good to be where I am right now. If I am mindful of God, I can say this, the fact that I don't see any good in my present situation, the fact that I don't see any good in my present situation doesn't mean that there isn't any good. It just means that I can't see it. I can't see it right now. If I am mindful of God, if I am conscious of him, then I can say, I don't have to understand the big picture in order to know that there is a big picture. A big picture that may be known only to God himself. Let us be reminded this morning that God promises to rule over all the details of my life, even when the details seem random and out of control. God promises to sovereignly, providentially rule over all the details of my life, even when those details seem random and out of control. God, this is not an easy statement, God sometimes allows things to happen to me that seem unfair and even harsh. I may not understand those things while I am going through them. God does not promise that I will understand why I am going through what I am going through. He only promises to be right there with me and to work all things together for my good, to those who love him, to those who are called according to his purpose. There is one thing I can do, though. I can endure them patiently because I believe, because I believe my Savior is right there with me every minute of every day.
And it all depends on whether or not you are conscious of God, whether you are mindful of him. Well, I want to end this morning with the phrase at the beginning of verse 21. For to this you have been called. He says all these things to us, and then he says, for to this you have been called. It's your calling in life. And when he says, for to this you have been called, it specifically refers to God's call upon your life when you were saved. He called you to himself, drew you to himself in salvation. And when he did, the Holy Spirit called you from darkness to light, from the kingdom of Satan to the kingdom of God. A miraculous transformation took place in your life when you were called by God, you went from darkness to light, from Satan's kingdom to God's kingdom. But something else happened. Something else happened. When God called you to salvation, you became an enemy of Satan and the target of unjust and unfair attacks. When you were saved, you became Satan's enemy and the target of unjust and unfair attacks. But here is the glorious thing. In the midst of all of this, you also became a citizen of heaven. You became a child of God. And you know what else you became? You became an ambassador for Christ in a sinful and fallen world. Wherever you go and whatever you do, you are Christ's representative. John MacArthur, one more quote from him this morning. Whenever believers encounter trials on the job, they ought to view them as opportunities for spiritual growth and evangelism. The chief reason God allows believers to remain in this world is so he might use them to win the lost and thereby bring glory to his name. Those who suffer with the right attitude will be blessed in this life and honored later in the Lord's presence. The chief reason God allows believers to remain in this world is so that he might use them to win the lost and thereby bring glory to his name. We're going to end this morning with that hymn, Who is on the Lord's Side? You know, we like, I mentioned this before, we like to stand up for social causes, and we should. We like to take a stand on political causes, and we should. We like to stand up and raise our hands and say, I am on the Lord's side. Peter is asking this. When you are wronged, when you are treated unjustly, when you are ripped off, who will raise their hand and say, I'm on the Lord's side? I will endure patiently. 
I will still show honor to those who wronged me. For God's glory and for the sake of the gospel. Let's pray together. Father, we admit and acknowledge this morning these are not easy words. When we are wronged, when we are mistreated, everything in us becomes emotional. We want so desperately to retaliate, to get back at them, to treat them like they've treated us. Oh, Father, that is so much a part of our sinful nature. In Christ, in Christ, help us to be different. Help us to confound a watching world by our behavior even when we are wronged. And we ask this by the grace and goodness and mercy of our Savior Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen.